Let's go to the Lord once again. God, you are so good to us to give us your word. Father, I pray that through the reading and now the preaching of your word, that the truth of it will resonate deep within our hearts this morning. God, we pray that you will open eyes to see you, hearts to receive you, Father God. Only you, only you can save. Father, I pray that if anyone here has not heard the truth of who you are this morning, that you will use this day to reveal yourself to them and draw them to yourself. God, as you do it for us, I pray that you'll continue to do it for Pastor Rob of Alethia College Park Church. God, I pray that you will help him to speak boldly this morning as he brings forth your word. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen that body, that they will proclaim the good news of Jesus to the college students there, but also to the community, Father, where you have them. Lord, we pray that you will do it for other gospel-centered churches in our own area. We pray for our sending church, Covenant Community Church, this morning. Pray that Pastor Tom will bring forth the word, that the truth of it will be received, and that we will be doers, not just hearers of the word, and covenant will be doers and not just hearers, Father God. Lord, we pray for Foundation Church in Fredericksburg. Pray for Pastor Bobby. Pray that he'll speak the word in truth and love and that the people will receive it and be encouraged in their faith, that they will proclaim the good news of Jesus to those who need to hear it, Father God. Lord, it's our prayer for our friends who are serving in places we can't even talk about. Those who are serving with Pioneers USA, pray that you will sustain them and use them for your glory today. Lord, pray that as they share the good news of Jesus, that it will not fall on deaf ears, but you will prepare hearts to receive the good news and churches will be planted where they're serving. Pray that you'll call out brothers who will preach the good news and that more people in those areas will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, that's our prayer for the Uyghurs there in China. Over 11 million of that precious people trapped in the false religion of Islam. God, we pray that you'll break the chains that bind them, Father God, and that you will send missionaries, brothers and sisters, maybe from this congregation to the Uyghurs, and you will save that people, Father. Lord, do a wondrous work. We know that you are a a global God. You are the God of the universe. May your good news be heard, may be proclaimed and heard all around the world today. Father, we ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. Today's title is Committing to God. I admit that that title, Committing to God, seems a little bland. At first glance, it may even seem uninteresting to you. Commitment is not popular these days. There can be a grind to it. After committing for a little while, you can get tired and bogged down and want to look for other things and... Saying commitment to God even may be too ordinary for what our passage is about. But committing to God is not the same as 
commitment to anything else. I thought about entitling today's sermon, Arrested to God, but thought it may give an impression to you that that I don't want to convey. What I mean by arrested to God or committing to God is this, that the Christian life is being totally captured in Jesus Christ. It's about being completely gripped in Him. The Israelites are are caught up in who God is, and they submit to Him and His ways. Our passage is about commitment. The Israelites renew a commitment to God. They, They renew a covenant with Him. They make a vow to be a people who put God first in everything. They resolve to obey Him, not not just halfway, not just when it's convenient, but trusting Him day in and day out and obeying what He says no matter the cost. Committing themselves to who Nehemiah describes in chapter 1 verse 5 as the great and awesome God who keeps covenant with His love. They want to live within His presence and to obey Him. They're willing to forgo money and good so that there will be absolutely no risk of dishonoring Him or or doing anything that would shame His name. They say what, what they have will be used to help those in need because we ourselves were needy and God gave to us freely and abundantly. So we will share with others so that a picture of His grace will be seen and we can have the opportunity to tell of Him and invite others to worship Him. What a beautiful picture of the people of God. The key to this kind of obedience is a changed heart. The people have had a transformation. Their their changed heart comes from first knowing who God is and how sinful they are. And by God's powerful grace, conviction of sin has taken place and He makes them willing to trust them. And thus, this grace that they've received fuels an obedience and love for Him. We've witnessed this change, this This change where they have come into just loving God and this love has just, it's overflowing into obedience and service to Him. In chapter 8, there was a conviction of sin and that led to confession and repenting of it in chapter 9 and results in this renewed willingness to follow God and a longing to be with Him in chapter 10. Their hearts have become of love for God who's merciful and ready to forgive and is steadfast in love giving them grace and mercy and not leaving them in their sin. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called a life with single-minded obedience where the call of a God the call of God in a person's life breaks all the barriers all the obstacles that stand in the way of following Him. And the believer drops it all for the sake of being with God. And the faith that 
he's been given then drives them to joyful obedience in what he says. It's being Godward in everything that they do. It's being Godward in everything where we as Christians, we view ourselves as completely His and our lives here on this earth are stewarded to us, are given to us for His namesake. And that means our time, our finances, our gifts, our abilities, our families, every relationship, any kind of influence that we may have, every instance and situation that we're put in, being given to us so that we may enjoy Him and declare His goodness and that Christ may be known and adored. And that means obeying God and serving others out of this love that we've received and this love now that we're sharing. That's what I mean by arrested to God or committing to God where He holds all of our attention. He holds our greatest desires within us where we more and more gear every ounce of who we are toward him but so i don't cause confusion we'll just say being fully committed to god c.s lewis author of mere christianity wrote if i find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that i was made for another world." You and I were made with longings in our heart that nothing in this world can satisfy. There are people all around us who are searching for things to satisfy these longings that they have in their heart. They're trying constantly to find peace and joy. And there's nothing in this world that will satisfy them. They get exhausted for trying to find something that will fill it. Too many of us settle for temporary pleasures. C.S. Lewis says we are far too easily pleased. We're just half-hearted. Another author, David Mathis, talks about how thrilling it was to realize that the Christian faith does not mute or suppress our desires. It actually encourages, even commands to turn them up to God. And that's what we mean in the church when we talk about a changed heart. A person with a a changed heart gives God the glory that He deserves and gives them their life to serve Him with everything that's in them. God gives to awaken this person to new life and they follow Him no matter what, no matter where He leads, no matter what He says to do, no matter the cost. They commit themselves with this changed heart. That's what the Israelites are doing here. Their renewed covenant to God is saying they want God more than anything else that you can imagine. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that you want God more than anything else in this world? Has your heart been awakened to the reality of who God is and your sin has been laid before Him and in repentance you surrender all that you are to Him? And in His forgiveness you see this steadfast love and this grace that's given to you. If not, 
or if you're unsure if you've done this, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here because we're going to look at what commitment to this God looks like. And you can commit to Him this morning. If you affirm that God has arrested your soul, that He's captured it, and you can commit to Him, and you, by His love and His grace, are living for Him, then let this word be an encouragement to keep you committing to God, to the one who's faithful and true and full of this love and this grace. So what does commitment to God look like? We're going to look at this passage. And although what they have to say and the way that they commit to God is, is not quite the same thing that we commit to, this, it's a different time period, We can look to what they did in chapter 10 and we can see what commitment looks like. This renewed covenant with God shows us what commitment is. First, it's a love for God and His ways. It has to begin there. It has to begin with this love that you have for God. Next, it's identifying as a person of God. And it's then being a grace driven people who pursue godliness. The first mark of commitment to God is to love Him. So do you love Him? Do you love Him? This is the most important question you can ask yourself. Do I love God? There are a lot of people, too many people, who will immediately and emphatically say yes. I love God. But then they ignore everything there is about God. That doesn't fit. To love God is to love His ways. To love God, to love Him for who He is and what He does. It's taking joy and delight in who God is. And we can say we love God, but if we don't do anything for Him, if we don't do anything that's with Him, if we don't submit to Him, if we don't want Him, then that's not love that we have. It's contempt. Where is this love that I'm talking about in our text? I did not see in our passage this morning the word love anywhere in our passage, but it's all in our passage this morning. It actually begins at the end of chapter 9, verse 38. Verse 38 is not only the conclusion of chapter 9, it's, it's also an introduction to chapter 10. And it's in four words. It's the reason why they are entering into this renewed covenant with God. They say, because of all of this, we make a firm covenant with you. Because of what? Well, we learned last week, because of who God is. They confessed who God is. He's the God from everlasting to everlasting. He alone is the Lord. He made all there is. He came down from heaven and He spoke with His people. He he gave them good rules to live by and to protect them and sanctify them. He provided for them in hunger and thirst. He was patient with them, ready to forgive with His grace and His mercy. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's great and mighty and is righteous 
and faithful. Because of that, they want a covenant with this God. They love God because of who He is. And they confessed it. And it goes on into chapter 10. They're willing to obligate themselves to call themselves servants of Almighty God because God has satisfied them in His glory. They would rather be in the house of God than with the peoples of the lands. They have separated themselves for those who, from those who are ungodly and have submitted to the law of God. They would rather worship God and be with Him than be anywhere else. They want to follow Him and His ways. Nothing is pulling them away from Him. They are willing to be cursed even if they do not follow Him. This is an undivided love for God. David says in Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is not water. So I have looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory. This is what the people are saying by covenanting with God. They are committing to to love God and His ways because He's better than all there is in their life. Their hearts are full of thankfulness and praise to Him. They've been shown who they are in their sin. And still, God has given His grace abundantly to them. His love for them has cleansed them and is making them His own people. He has not repelled them. He's actually drawn them to Himself to experience and be satisfied in this worship. And this has made them want Him. Their love for God is seen in their desire to obey His ways. They want a relationship with God, one of obedience with Him. They had already read. Remember, there has been a reading of the Scriptures day in and day out. For almost a whole month, they they were going through the Old Testament in public readings. And they read in Deuteronomy chapters 5 and 6 and chapter 7 and onward into chapter 10 and 11 and chapter 22 even. This phrase, love God and keep His commandments. Love God and obey His ways. Love God and put His commandments on your heart. And that's what they're saying here in this covenant. We will do this, God. We will love You and we are committing ourselves to You and Your ways to keep Your words and to live by them. And isn't this what Jesus has told us? You see, it hasn't changed. We serve the same God. In John chapter 14, verse 15, He echoes Deuteronomy to us. He says, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. If I say I love God, but I don't love His ways, it's like saying I love my wife, but I can't stand being around her. And I don't think she would consider that love. Being with my wife is loving her. Desiring to be with her shows that I love her. And obeying God and submitting to His ways is loving Him. That's mark number one. Love for God and His ways and submitting in obedience 
to Him. The next mark of commitment to God is identifying as a person of God. There were 84 people who signed their names. 84 names that I struggled through just a minute ago. 84 people who signed their names to this written covenant. But it wasn't just 84. These 84 were kind of summarizing, they were representing the rest of the people who were committing themselves to God. There are leaders, priests, Levites, chiefs of families, and in verse 28, the rest of the people, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants. These names represent all the people who are committing themselves to God. They are identifying as belonging to Him. They want it known that we are your people and we will submit to your ways. We want it known to everybody else. The list of names is saying who is among God's people. It's there for others to see. It it wasn't a private inward conviction that they kept to themselves. It was a public declaration that they are aligned with God. This is why today we have a church uh, covenant and church membership is so important to us. We do the same thing. Joining a church says you are committing to God and publicly identifying as one of His. There are some who say, well, I belong to the universal church. I don't have to belong to a local church. And well, who do you know who's part of the universal church? It's those who are in the local expressions of the church. That's why we call our church membership a church covenant. We're doing the same thing as the Israelites. In chapter 10, they're not creating a new list of rules for them to follow. It's basically a summary of God's law. They are pledging to follow what God has said to His people. They're publicly making a promise to submit to His written word. Church covenants do the same thing. In our church covenant, we, we say we, we will promise to do these things. We commit to doing certain things. They summarize what we as God's people promise to do according to what's already been said in Scripture. We are identifying as followers who together obligate ourselves to God's Word. Now, there are those who go from church to church and they never settle down now I'm not talking about those who have moved and are looking for a new church home there are Christians who are committed and are between churches but have intent of joining I'm not talking about those folks but there are others who have never the intent they never have the intent of joining The commitment is too much. In this covenant, all the Israelites who have understanding of what's going on join with their brothers, they say, in the covenant. They join together. And the rest of the covenant, it says we. It doesn't say I. They are joining together as one people, together as God's people. They have personal faith That doesn't go away. That doesn't change. They have personal faith with a public declaration to God and relationship 
with each other. And that's what we ought to have as God's people. So we love God and his ways. We publicly identify as his people. The third mark of committing to God is being a grace-driven people who pursue godliness. The Jews have been given grace to repent and have been renewed through the reading of his word. This is what illuminates them toward pursuing godliness. Notice the authority of Scripture in this covenant. Notice the authority in these people's lives. They commit to what in verse 29? They commit to walking in God's law and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord. They're not returning to a covenant of works, thinking that they have to do things in order to achieve that they can earn a place as God's people. They've already been forgiven of their sin and they're now committing to God. Forgiveness comes before commitment. They confessed and sought repentance and they're not following now some certain value system. They're not following a certain lifestyle or some set of rules. They're not doing this for how it makes them feel good about themselves. And it's, it's not to be accepted by God. This is not legalism that they're doing here. It's the pursuit of holiness. And it stems from the first mark of loving God and His ways. God is a holy God. And they love His ways. And they are pursuing that holiness. They're wanting to please Him in obedience and service according to His holiness. From verses 28 through 39, the people pledge to keep the law. Forbidding foreign marriages is mentioned first. Now this this seems to be understood in a different context from what we understand today. And so we have to briefly explain what's going on here. It needs to be understood of what's really being signified by this. This was not about race. They were not as Jews separating themselves from other races. This was under the old covenant and anyone who was not Jewish was considered a pagan. They were considered idolaters. A marriage with a foreigner then meant split loyalties to separate gods. And since Israel's God is the only true God, they were to keep their marriages together among themselves. And it's the same today. We're told in the New Testament, believers are to marry other believers. Idolatry has no part of God's people. There's to be no room in the marriage for honor and devotion to false gods. And so the people commit to that. God's people commit to honoring God in the marriage, in the family. God's word has touched these people's hearts and they give their most important relationship to God to pursue him and to honor him. Next, they want to keep the Sabbath a holy day. They said, we will honor the Sabbath and every other holy day. This is a day set aside for devotion and worship to God, to have rest in Him. He's the one who replenishes the soul and restores the heart. 
They were willing to forgo any type of personal gain from buying and trading of goods and grain on that day because this time belongs to the Lord, not to any other endeavor. They also reinstituted the year of Jubilee. That's the the seventh year law. They weren't to, to touch crops that year. This required a trusting of God that He would provide. And the Jews are saying, yes, God is our provider. It's by His grace we are His people and we live in His care. They took it a step further by relieving all debts in that year of Jubilee. This was also according to Scripture. They also wanted to provide tithes for the temple services to support the work of making God known and adored. Nine times the house of our God, or a phrase like that, is mentioned in verses 32 to 39. They were all about worship to God. Their time, their finances and resources were used to ensure the service and the worship of God was maintained. It was important to them that God be seen as the most important to them as a people. All of this was pointing to a life that pursued God in everything. It pursued the God who's holy and they were making their lives a commitment to His holiness. Their relationships were to reflect the purity and the devotion that they said they had toward God. Their possessions were God's. They were stewards of them. Their lives were a gift from God and it's to be one that is of sacrifice and worship to Him. The love of God and His ways. The public identifying as belonging to God and being grace-driven people that pursue holiness were marks of a nation that were fully devoted to God. Can we say that today? Can you say that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are fully committed to God in everything? Can we say that as a church? These three marks of committing to God declare that a person is willing to walk in obedience to God and His ways. That they wanted to be counted among those who were God's people. These marks are the same as in the church today. But it's not something any of us can do on our own. You and I can't say, yes, this is good, and as God's people, we ought to do this. And we just lock arms and we go and we try and do this on our own. It doesn't work that way. It may, it may work for a little while. It may appear that that's what we're doing. But if there's not a dependence on God's grace to sustain us, then the commitment will cease. Other things will grab our attention and our resolve will disappear. Jesus puts these marks of commitment, he puts them in terms that seem pretty much impossible for us to do. Jesus puts these marks, this commitment to God, as denying ourselves, as picking up our cross and following Him, as losing our life and finding it in Him. He says, renounce everything you have that He's worth 
losing everything for. So often in the church, we want to make following Jesus as easy as we can. But that's not how Jesus puts it. It's not the commitment of God's people making this covenant in Nehemiah's day. So how do we do this? How do we commit to this God that puts these marks that seem to be impossible for us to live out? It's only possible by the working of God. It's a gift of grace. We are able to commit to this life in Jesus, not in our own strength. We can't just make it ourselves. We're able because of a new covenant that Jesus has fulfilled on our behalf by his life, his death, and his resurrection. He has saved and covenanted all who believe and trust in him. It's Jesus who does that committing. There are many who claim to follow him. They acknowledge God's word that this is a good book. They say they know and they understand it, yet they live lives focused on so many other things. Jesus becomes a religion. He becomes a moral example. He's a means to heaven. But when you come to know the real Jesus, when you come to know him, when God opens your eyes to see his worth, who he really is, he is the Savior. He's the one who is the covenant keeper for us. Belief in Jesus is belief in the one who counts us among his people because of his love and his grace for us. For this, our lives become his. Jesus is not supposed to be the first among many commitments. He is our love. He is our treasure. Why would you want anything else when you have Jesus? Why would you want to commit to lesser things when you have the Savior of the world? Those of us who have Him, we have God's Son. His mercy and His love is given to us so abundantly. We don't need anything else. It's knowing deep in our bones that His saving grace is our mark as His people. And He keeps us with God forever. Let's live in full view of Christ. Let's place our reliance in the perfect obedience and the sin-bearing death of Christ every day. On our worst days and on our best days, let's do this. And the marks of being His people will be given to us and sustained by our Savior. And who we're made for will be cleared, will be crystal clear in our worship of Him. Our commitment to Christ will be our joy and making Him known will be what we live for and will drive us in this life. And the grace He gives through His Word will lead us into the eternal presence of God. Let's pray.